It is the 200 level episode 69, a most satisfying year. Here's why we have the title the way it is for episode 69. Total, I think it is our 35th since the relaunch. Hard to believe we've done that many. But we started back in August, Steve Bartweiser and myself, to kick things off with the most consequential year. Now, football kind of, sort of answered the call. We'll leave that discussion for another day. We are talking Illini basketball and only Illini basketball on this podcast for what has been a monstrous comeback season for a program that means so much to me. And I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, a program that means a lot to you as well. Before we get into it, what should be a really fun podcast, and you can tell from my voice that yes, I was at the game yesterday, and yes, there were more than a few F-bombs at a very high volume that were uttered from this mouth. But uh, you know, this is a clean family program, so I will spare you any of those similar F-bombs. Iowa just tends to do that to me. And let you know that dpdo.com is where you get all the best deals and prices for custom zones and your favorite cal zones. Again, online at dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order. And of course, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. That's brianismyguy.com for all your life, auto, home, renters, business, insurance needs, all other reps, born and raised, local products, here in Champaign-Urbana. Got to thank, of course, Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. And I'm, I'm speeding into this for a couple reasons. One, I'm just so darn excited. Two, I left my notes at school. So during plan period, I was scribbling some notes that I was going to come back home, start the recording, and have a very structured podcast for what is a solo podcast. Trevor and Isaac and myself will get back together for some live reaction podcasts as we get into tournament play. More on that later. But for today, it was going to be a reflective sort of podcast, regardless of the outcome in the Iowa game. Fortunately, I'm able to come here on this Monday evening and talk about what was a very successful and fun night at State Farm Center. Voice cracked for the first time there won't be the last, I can assure you. I just use the word fun, and that is not a word that I could associate with Illinois basketball in the last six, seven years. It's been anything but fun. It's been arduous, at times difficult to get through. But because it is ingrained in us, we watch every game and we live and die by certain teams more than others. I think what I started to do was check out a little bit. And I don't know what that says about me as a fan. Maybe it's a bit of a protective measure. I don't want to get hurt, so it takes a while for me to get sucked back in. Some might call that front-runner status, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. But this has been a fun year, but it didn't start that way. I want to start the conversation by reminding people where we were at on January 2nd. I think we had done a podcast right after the Missouri game, and then, of course, after the Red Box Bowl, whatever that was, the Michigan State game. We did not do a podcast after that. It was only after Illinois beat Purdue at home. But I remember how I felt on January 2nd. I remember flipping that game off with about five minutes to go saying, screw it. Ended up turning on whatever we were binging at the time. And Kara, as a Michigan State fan, mercifully let me turn the channel. But I remember how I felt that night. I remember the next day being in the parking lot at Schnucks. I forget what I was picking up. I checked Twitter and they have one of those, you know, the basketball teams in the weight room. They're lifting. They got that emoji with the air coming out of the nostrils. Working hard. Everyday guys. And I retweeted it, quote tweeted it, and said, you know, this is getting past the point of parody. The idea that these were everyday guys. They were not for the first two months of the season. And you think about the 8-3 and three non-conference slate. You think about the 1-1 one and one start in the Big Ten. One game you should have gotten on the road against Maryland. Ugh, Big Ten title. Who knew that it was hinging 
on that game back in December. And then he got the other against Michigan. You go to Michigan State after what was a very lackluster end of your non-conference schedule, and you get the doors blown off of you, and you can't score. You couldn't make any shots. Unfortunately, that trend has kind of stayed with this team, and yet they go 13-7 and in the Big Ten. At that moment, they were 1-2. and So simple math, I guess that means they were 12-5 and cents with no bad losses, really. So as I look at this season, I say, what a fun season, but really more to the point, what a fun 9-10 to week period this has been. November, December, there was a lot of doubt. It was hard for me to not question whether or not this thing was going in the right direction, and somehow things started to click. Kudos, of course, to Brad Underwood for finding a way to make it click when all the indicators early were that you kind of had a mess on your hands and a team that didn't know how to play together, at least not consistently enough, and it didn't really feel like this was going to be even a tournament team. I don't think after that Michigan State game, many of us were saying tournament team, We were probably thinking, oh my God, we're going to go through the same cycle again where this might be a bubble team, but we're sweating it out regardless as we get to the end of the regular season. Well, that didn't happen. And that Purdue game at home, who would have thought that that would have been actually kind of foreshadowing the fact that this team was a lot better than we thought? Oddly enough, it was only those two Purdue games that you blew anybody out. Other wins in this you know, 12-5 and stretch since that Michigan State game A lot of road wins, and you don't expect to get blowouts there. But the home games, I think the largest margin of victory you had would have been Minnesota by eight. Rutgers, super close game. Northwestern, four-point win. You look at Indiana, last Sunday, that was what, a one- or two-point win? Same thing against Iowa, two-point win. These are the cardiac kids, to borrow a cliche that gets thrown around with sports a lot. But they got it done. And to the point of these close margins of victory... And really, look at the defeats as well. Same thing. I know they lost by eight at Ohio State, but that was a close game throughout against what was a very hot team at the time and I think will be a dangerous team in the Big Ten and NCAA tournament. But these close margins don't really bother me all that much when you consider the fact that they aren't a great shooting team to begin with. Their strength is defense. Their strength is playing downhill and attacking the basket. And they got the guys to do that, and it might translate into March or postseason play. But there is something that Steve Greenberg said in yesterday's Sun-Times, and I agree with this wholeheartedly. After this point, it's gravy for me. And I'm not just saying that in case Illinois disappoints in the Big Ten or NCAA tournament. At this point, going forward, and please remember this so I don't come on after a disappointing loss in the Big Ten or NCAA tournament and get too down about it. It's all gravy from this point. This team accomplished their mission, and they did so with style. They not only are going to make the NCAA tournament, they're going to make it handily. They might even get a sixth seed. They're going to put themselves in a position to not sweat at all Selection Sunday and instead give us fans that great moment where we get to turn on the Selection Show and know for certain that Illinois' name will be called. It's to the point now where we get a look at brackets and start doing a little bit of, you know, well, I like that matchup. I like Creighton as the two seed in St. Louis if we're the seventh seed. We get to play that game, and we haven't been able to play that for a long time. That alone is enough of a win for me to call this season an unmitigated success, when about three months ago, I might have called it an unmitigated disaster. In fact, I know in November and December I said that. And I certainly said that about Lovey Smith's Atlanta football team after the game at Minnesota. Well, in a way, both teams proved me wrong, though there is a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of differentiation between what Lovey and the football team did and what Brad Underwood did with this basketball team. But as much as we can talk about the coaches, this is really about the players, which sounds like such a canned, lame sports media response 
from someone like me. I try to avoid cliche. I know I run into it. Io, let's start there. Io Desumu decides that he's going to go to the University of Illinois and never could I have expected that this would be the storyline that it would follow, which might sound a little bit crazy. You know, why, why Carp would you not expect a guy like Io to be instrumental in turning this thing around? I figured Io was going to be good. We all did. We all had high hopes. We thought that him and Mark Smith were going to team up and man, everything was going to be figured out. And of course, it didn't quite happen that way. But you cannot predict the amount of clutch moments that he had in a two-year, likely, two-year college career. It is unbelievable. And you can go back to the Michigan State game last year, of course, the three, the Dan Dockich, you know, jinx that led to the Io Sumu three. And that was merely foreshadowing what would be a monstrous sophomore year. But again, back to November, December, weren't a ton of those moments from Io. This is really like a nine, 10 week thing that we've seen that has turned what could have been a bubble team into a surefire NCAA tournament team that's very dangerous. A switch turned on at some point, but the consistent thing throughout these nine and 10 weeks has been Io. Late game situations, who do you want to have the ball? Happen again against Iowa. That pull-up jumper, no problem. Normally, I wouldn't like a 16, 17-foot, two-point jumper. When it's Io taking it, I assume it's going to go in. If it's under four minutes in the game, I definitely think that's going in. And that makes the Ohio State game, where he was quiet in the last five minutes, the aberration. His numbers at end-of-game situations, and Lauren Tate did a really good breakdown of this, and I wish I had the numbers handy for you, are astronomical. The kid's clutch. And we've had talks in the text thread between myself and Trevor and Isaac. Is it a clutch gene? Why is it that for him, the shots go in in those moments, and for others, it ain't going to happen? And none of us can say for certain. All I can say is that Io has given us more than a handful of memories that as Lanai basketball fans, we're going to keep with us forever. Illinois has had plenty of 21-win teams, but it's the fact that this came after six years of disappointment and that he spearheaded this whole thing by committing to Illinois in the first place when it wasn't a cool thing to do. And by the time he exits, Illinois is cool again. Io is cool. I noticed this yesterday at the Iowa game, which we'll focus on that big time in a couple minutes. But when he made a shot, and I think it was a layup, it was a great take that he took to the basket to go up 14 He has this signature thing where he kind of raises both arms and he makes these hand signals to the crowd and he's waving for people to get pumped up. And like a giddy schoolboy, like 16, 17-year-old carp that back in high school, I was just this, you know, crazy, vivacious fan at the old assembly hall. That was me again on Sunday night, hence the voice. And it felt like, yeah, we're cool again. And we're cool so much because of what Io has done for this program. I know that Jeremy and Derek on their Illini Inquirer podcast talked about the jerseys and the wings and the criteria that you need to make it. There's All-American, All-Big Ten First Team, which I know Io got that. Um, Let's see, Conference Champions, Final Four appearance. There's certain things, and I don't know how many boxes he checks necessarily. There was something about pioneering in Illini basketball history. And I don't know if it's hyperbolic to say that Io truly is a pioneer when you consider the context of him coming in at the absolute low point for Illinois basketball since pre-Henson. You would have to go back to the 70s to find the same extended period of mediocrity to just plain out bad basketball at Illinois. And he flipped it. He flipped the script. And I know that as that game was unfolding yesterday and he's making shot after shot, and he is taking charge when you need a guy like him to take charge. It crossed my mind 
as I know I wasn't alone in that stadium, that it would be the last time that we saw Io on that court. We are presuming, right? But he has played himself back into that NBA conversation. And even if he's not a lottery pick, which is probably unlikely, this guy is a pro. And he will, even if he doesn't get the monster contract coming out in the draft, he's going to have a long professional career. I have no doubt about that. So to Io, probably not listening, but thank you for making, or being a big part at least, of making Illini basketball cool again, making it relevant again. He did everything and some. His legacy is secure. What a remarkable story and something that we will be talking about 10, 20, 30 years from now, especially if Brad Underwood can sustain this progress. I think he can. And the key thing is, look back to the Lon Kruger and the Bill Self and the early Bruce Weber golden days, right? You had studs. You are lining up stud after stud after stud. From Io to Kofi to Andre Corbello, which I cannot wait to see that kid, and Adam Miller. And now that you actually have success paired with these early recruiting successes, it's all right there. It's all right there for Brad Underwood to turn this into a prolonged period of success for Illinois. And the extension only emboldens him to do that. We haven't talked about that extension a whole lot on this podcast, but it makes sense. The timing is right. The recruiting being at the level that it's at, I think that's the smart move for Whitman. And he got him locked up. So hopefully the consistency, uh, the foundation, everything that you need to have success over the next decade, it's right there for you. And Io was the Pied Piper of sorts. What D. Brown did for 2005, unfortunately, D. Brown's legacy is solely based on the court. He certainly made Illinois cool, right? The perception of Illinois nationally when he was here was monstrous. But for whatever reason, <clears throat> Bruce Weber you were not able to capitalize off of that superstardom that D. Brown had. I'm hoping Brad Underwood's a little bit more savvy on the recruiting trail and can do that post-Io. So far, so good. But how about the game? How about the Iowa game? First off, it's Iowa. I know there was no Big Ten title on the line, and in a way, that made my Sunday a lot easier. Tried to cook out. The charcoal must have got wet or something. Of course, the grill's not starting. Had my parents come over. Kara and I are eating dinner with them. End up doing the chicken on the stove, and it works out fine. No big deal. But I, I did have this thought of, oh, God, don't let this be some sort of foreshadowing of what's to come in State Farm Center. I can't even grill chicken correctly. Well, fortunately, it wasn't. But I know for a fact that I had a lot less fan pressure, as I used to say on 93.5, a lot less fan pressure because there was no Big Ten title on the line. There was a double buy in the tournament, and you won it. But you also know that losing the game would not have been utter disaster. Now, losing this game and losing a Big Ten title in the same night to Iowa would have been disaster. That's hard to shake. And yes, it would have been very hard to come here right now and shake the blues if we had lost to Iowa, even if that meant we didn't get the double bye. But it does take one thing off the shelf where you can just say, okay, I'm going to a game. I'm going to have fun. I want to beat Iowa. But if we lose, it's not the end of the world. Okay, so that was my approach going into it. But man, the minute my dad and I walked in the State Farm Center, you could tell that this was an old school atmosphere. And I felt like a kid again for a couple reasons. One, that my dad and I had not been to a game together in a long time. I have not been attending games with any regularity. And in fact, the two games I went to before this were Maryland and Michigan State. When Iowa jumps out to that lead in the first half, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not stitious or superstitious. I'm moderately stitious. Maybe there's something going on here. Maybe I just should not be here in the stadium. But as my dad and I are walking around the concourse, what it reminded me of for some reason were the early 2000s years where my dad and I more often than not would go to the games together, 
which is very sweet of my mom because technically it's their tickets, but she would let me go more often than not. And it was sunny out, so it reminded me almost of like a Saturday afternoon game. For some reason, the Seton Hall game in 2000, December 2000, I I had that same vibe walking through the concourse. This sense of, you know, 15,000 people knowing that we're cool and we're relevant again. They know it's going to be a tough game. And this sort of mutual agreement between all the people there in the stadium that, hey, we got to bring our A game. We got to be rowdy. We need to make this the home court advantage that it used to be. You know, there was skin in the game from all 15,000 Illini fans that were there. You could tell that they were there to be loud and rowdy and we hate Iowa and we need this win. This communal experience that you want when you go to a sporting event, it was there. And that was such a cool thing to share in with my dad for one. Because like I said, it had been so long since him and I had been to a game together. We get to our seats and just in time for all the starting lineups and the amazing production value that they have for all the pregame stuff at the stadium. It really is spectacular. And Trevor had mentioned this back during the Minnesota game when Isaac and I are down here doing the podcast as Illinois beats Minnesota. Trevor texts us and says, I honestly got emotional. And I thought, well, I get it for Trevor, younger guy was pretty young when Illinois was in their heyday. was very young, actually, when Illinois was in their 98 to 2006 heyday. So for me, I've already gotten all those experiences. I've become grizzled. Trevor is slightly less grizzled, and I think that's just because he's, you know, seven, eight years younger than I am. Isaac, same thing. But I was a kid again, and I got emotional. I didn't cry, I didn't weep or anything, but I did well up and I didn't talk to my dad for maybe a minute or two as I'm just sort of observing this crowd and feeling a part of it again. And I know that I've talked about this in the podcast, this importance of Illini basketball. I don't know to what detail, and if I'm redundant, I do apologize, but this is something that back in the day, every dinnertime conversation would somehow revolve, I mean, any dinnertime conversation between you know, October and March, Illini basketball centered. And this was coinciding, of course, with the Bulls winning their six out of eight. So basketball was huge. But as much as the Bulls championships were fun, Illini basketball just meant the most to my entire family. It was dinnertime conversation. I remember so many times where, oh, the game's at seven tonight, so my mom would make Sloppy Joe's or Taco Tuesday, whatever it was, so we could get over to the game on time. We had a whole neighborhood crew where we go pick up Doug and Kathy down at their house. Then we pick up Bob and Nancy. Pretty soon we got a minivan full of people going to the game. And it was a big deal. It was just what we did. And I didn't take it for granted. You know, if I look back and am honest with myself about it, I did not take any of that for granted. It was just something that we did. And I knew it was important to me. But at that age, it's hard to verbalize it. It just, it's there. Of course, there's the heyday from 98 to 2006. You know, during my plan period today, I got to be honest, I'm going on YouTube and looking up all the Illini highlight clips and I, I just couldn't shake it. I'm back on full Illini fandom mode in a way that I haven't been in a long time. And the Iowa game is such a big catalyst for it. That one game Sunday night at State Farm Center was such a big catalyst for fully getting me back on board and reminding myself that it's okay to be a fan. It's okay to live and die by certain plays. It's okay to get pumped up. Sometimes it's okay to drop F-bombs at the opposing team because that's sports, right? We, we get meatball about it, but it's not all bad. In fact, sometimes it's actually cathartic. But all too often in the last decade, the catharsis has been, well, we're struggling. And I'm pissed off about it, and let's be cathartic. And we did that in 93.5. 
Um, but I wanted to feel like a kid again. You know, I wanted to feel like I did back all those countless times that we would get the minivan and head over to the assembly hall, take up St. Mary's Road before they had fixed it. That, that road, which is not great now, used to be a total mess, but that was our route from our house in Urbana to the stadium, walked right in, B28, row five, seat six and seven, right on the aisle. Well, now we're in the 200 level, which is not just a clever name for a podcast. That's where we sat after the renovation. Still pretty good seats. But, you know, when you do that enough, when you do anything enough, and you do it with your family, it becomes a part of your identity. I try to explain it to Kara, and she gets it as a Michigan State fan. But I do feel bad at certain family functions when we will talk about Illini basketball. And I know she has no problem with it, but we just talk Illini sports. And for a few years, and this has nothing to do with Kara or my family, but it was the lack of success on the field, on the court, where sometimes I would feel honestly uncomfortable talking about it to the degree that we did. I'm thinking, guys, you know, they aren't that good. Why are we spending all this time on it? But I realized that, you know, my parents and my sister were still being fans and I was trying to kind of keep it at arm's length. I don't know if that's some sort of thing that while I was on the radio or I was doing the podcast, whatever it was, and I need to maintain some sort of objectivity. I don't think it was that. I think it was protective. I had been hurt by something that had given me a lot of joy. In sports, you get the joy, you get the pain, you ride the roller coaster. But Illini basketball had given much more joy than it had pain. And God knows a lot of basketball fans, we've had a lot of very big heartaches with the good teams, really, more than anything, where you get so far and then for whatever reason, it doesn't quite come to fruition. You're still chasing that national title. But yeah, it's, it's been this weird kind of soul searching thing this season where I'm training myself to be the fan that I was. And allowing myself to be hurt when there were bad losses, like I felt after the Maryland and the Michigan State game, the days after those two games sucked. I took a step back after that because I figured we'd lose to Rutgers and Penn State. Well, then they beat Penn State. Now I'm back in. But this Iowa game, you know, again, probably being there with my dad, but also being in this stadium and feeling that energy that I'd felt so often before that you feel for a big game at the State Farm Center or previously the Assembly Hall. We all know that feeling. It's incredible, and it's the kind of thing that you understand why the StubHub tickets are as expensive as they are, why this is a hot ticket again, and why next year it's going to be a really hot ticket coming in, even if IO goes, which we presume he will, but people are genuinely excited again, and they want to be there. I get it because after the Michigan State and Maryland games, I talked about how, well, I kind of like being able to watch it on TV because then I can talk about it. I can move around, I can get a drink, I can go to the bathroom, I can get a snack, whatever. I like that freedom because in the stadium, you're kind of captive. Well, I was captive last night. I was in my seat and almost unable to go anywhere else. Like I could not compel myself to go anywhere else once that game started because it was so intense. I mean, it is mentally and physically taxing. My body was tight for two hours. The first half ended and I tweeted out immediately, we have a whole nother half of this left. A whole half where it felt like we had already played a full game. I mean, just mentally, totally spent. Voice, again, spent. <laughs> Physically spent. Like, damn it, was it fun. Was it fun to be a fan again, to get rowdy, to hate Fran McCaffrey and his stupid kid and all the other white jabronis on Iowa. That it's, you know, I, I tweeted this out, and I swear to God there's something to this. C.J. Frederick after the game, of course, 
talks about how he was held throughout the game. He couldn't get an open shot because he was fouled on essentially every place. And I'm not one to complain a lot. And I'm like, do they grow CJ Frederick in a lab along with all the other six foot four white sharpshooting guys at Iowa that complain all the time? There's an identity that has outlasted any coach with Iowa basketball from Dr. Tom all the way now, of course, to Fran, but before that, Steve Alford, this sort of petulant whining. And yes, I tweeted out last night that I didn't think the officiating was very good. Well, apparently Fran McCaffrey shares in my sentiment. Actually, Brad Underwood does too. I think the officiating across the board was a mess and wildly inconsistent. But man, I was so reminded why Iowa, not Indiana. Because here's the thing. When I was growing up, we were already beating Bobby Knight with regularity. Iowa, despite not being quite the basketball program you are, it seemed like that series was even Steven. It felt like we would win in Bloomington, Indiana more than we would in Iowa City. That may or may not be true, but it felt that way. So after what happened Super Bowl Sunday, to reignite that rivalry, to be in the stadium and feel all those feelings again, that hatred, and it's sports hatred. I don't want anything bad to happen to any Iowa guy. I don't. But you know, during those two hours, it's bloodthirsty. You know, It's ruthless. The thing's coming out of my mouth, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm a teacher. What am I doing here? Well, fortunately, there was a really nice older couple next to us. They didn't seem offended by it. And I try to you know, cup my mouth so it is like unidirectional. So that the words are going straight at the court and not so much around the people next to me. I I feel like I've gotten better as a fan. But man, when you get sucked back in and there's something at stake, then the emotions come out. But that's okay. I mean, I, I go to concerts for the same reason that I go to sporting events. You want to feel something. You want to feel the highest of the highs. And we were granted that opportunity this year more than we have in a long time. The Iowa game was the culmination of that. Because of that hatred of Iowa. Uh, you know, Jeremy had tweeted at me last night after I mentioned the C.J. Frederick thing, and he was right. He, he said, this is fun again. This is a fun rivalry. The hatred is fun. It is. Embrace it. Embrace the fact that we don't like Iowa, and they don't like us. We view them as petulant crybabies, and they view us as thugs. Whatever. It's sports, and it gets ugly sometimes. And yeah, there's the whole dynamic of Chicagoans, the Chicago area especially, where, oh, you got in the U of I. Oh, no, you didn't get in the U of I. You go to Iowa. So we sometimes, sort of like how we view Northwestern as snobby. Well, maybe Iowa fans view us as snobby. Regardless of all that, it makes for a fun rivalry, and we're probably going to do that again on Friday. So buckle up. I I think Minnesota's got a chance. We'll see how Iowa responds. After, let's be real, that was a heartbreaking loss for them. A chance to win it after leading by as much as 10 in the first half, or 12 maybe. And then trailing by as much as 16, they had a chance to win that damn game. So that's a heartbreaking loss for them. We'll see if there's any sort of carryover. They don't want to play on Thursday, but they're going to have to. And I could see Minnesota, because of that two-headed monster that they got up there, they can play well enough to spring the upset. I kind of want them to, because I think that you have a better chance of beating Minnesota, plain and simple. You do. But on the other hand... There's nothing to lose if you play Iowa in terms of seeding in the NCAA tournament. And yes, it would hurt. But man, this rivalry is, it's growing. And why not feed the beast while it's here? Why not give this rivalry another feather in its cap, another opportunity to grow into more intense hatred? I love it. And I think back to the Red Sox and Yankees in 03-04. Yankees got an 03, Red Sox got an 04. And it was ugly, but man, was it invigorating. Exhausting, Yes invigorating absolutely and it's been a long time for Illinois to have that same feeling about any rival just because you know we weren't relevant 
Now that we are, I'm quickly reminded why Iowa, year in, year out, just bugs the crap out of me. It was just last summer at Noblesville, over in Indianapolis area, when my dad and I were at the Dave Matthews Band weekend, and I'm down for breakfast in the Spring Hill Suites, and Fran McCaffrey, I'm getting my oatmeal, and then right next to me is Fran McCaffrey getting his eggs and sausage and whatever. We're in his Iowa gear. There must have been some AAU tournament over there. And at that point, it was whatever. You know, yeah, he's the Iowa coach, but I got no beef. I know he's a bit of a hothead, but he seemed like a nice enough guy in the breakfast place. He's a competitive guy. I mean, Brad Underwood hugged him after the game. Now, Brad Underwood also signed the triggered poster with his name on it right on Fran's forehead. So, you know, there's some animosity there. But I think they respect each other. So in that regard, it is a healthy rivalry. But I could not have predicted last June that we would get into a position. First off, I thought Iowa was going to stink. Wrong. They don't. It's exhausting to watch them on offense because they have so many weapons. And I keep waiting for the other shooter drop. I keep waiting for that inevitable 10 nothing run just because they can shoot lights out. When they get going, it's dangerous. And we saw it got damn near full-on comeback from Iowa yesterday. Fortunately, it did not. This would have been a very different podcast. But even to be in that position, right, to do that, well, I remember back in June when I saw Fran McCaffrey, didn't think anything of it. Or I thought it was cool, but I didn't think, oh, right, in March, we're going to have a game at home, the last regular season game of the year, and I'm going to have one of the most fun experiences as an Illini basketball fan in my life. Not hyperbole. Back to the whole, my history with Illini basketball and all the meaningful games that I've seen. It's not like the game last night was even in the top 10 meaningful games that I've been at for Illini basketball. But in a way, it's as impactful because of the six, seven years that came before it and just craving validation, craving, yes, we belong, and getting that cherry on top. And that's what the game against Iowa was, a cherry on top of what's been a very delicious Sunday here in the Big Ten Conference. 13-7, and double bye, fourth place. You force Iowa to play on Thursday. They won't have as fresh legs as you do, even if you do meet again on Friday. And what the hell, play them again and beat them again. How sweet would that be? We'll get to the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, all that at the end of the podcast. My voice, I hope, holds up until then. It's (laughs) I'm taking these little swigs of water as I pause this and trying to make sure there's not too many Peter Brady moments when it's time to change. See, it's too easy to voice crack after yesterday's game. How about the performances, though? I already talked about I.O., You know, we could spend a whole podcast on him. This is not the last time we'll talk about Io, certainly, because he's got decisions to make about the pros and all that, and I think his legacy is still being written these next two, hey, maybe even three weekends if they can get the Sweet 16. Andres Feliz. In the text thread, it was Trevor or Isaac, and I wish I could say who. We've been talking about how Andres Feliz seems to have these quiet, sneaky 14-point games, right? You you look up at the scoreboard, how, how does he have 14? Did it again. A sneaky 14 for Andres Feliz on senior night. Monster game from him. Foul trouble in the first half. And I remember going into halftime thinking, well, you're tied. Feliz didn't play a lot. I think that bodes well for us. And by the way, Io, I think had five points at half, but a pretty quiet half. And feeling like, man, he's going to go off. Feliz is going to be out there. We'll be fine. You were, ultimately. Trent Frazier, a couple shots in the early going of the second half. And we all know it. Listen, I'd be belaboring the point if I said, well, man, if Trent starts shooting... We're going to be a lot better. Of course we are. In fact, we're very dangerous if Trent makes shots. And we saw the part of that run that Illinois had late first half, early second half, the two big moments in the second half when Iowa, I think, had to take a timeout after one of them. A great take by Trent to the basket. And then the corner three. And we keep waiting for one of his made threes to be the thing that gets the monkey off his back. 
It hasn't happened yet. The heat check three after we had gotten the steal with about a minute and a half to go. And all we had to do was run clock and get a late shot. He wanted that three. It was so ill-advised. And I remember thinking, don't let that be the narrative that that turned the game around completely. Almost. But, you know, Trent, I'm still waiting for it. And I think it's possible that he can get this thing going again. Kofi with a monstrous game and really more offensively in the first half. But I know that Luca Garza got his. He got his against everybody this year. When you make the block that seals the deal, that solidifies to me a monster game. And Kofi got the fourth foul late in that game, came out for another few minutes. You see that Iowa, they tended to make their runs when Kofi was out of the game. So it really speaks to the impact that he has beyond just the score sheet. Kofi makes such a difference on the defensive and offensive ends. Offensively, you got to stay honest because otherwise, as we saw yesterday, Kofi rattling off like 10, 11 points in the first four minutes of the game. So then they have to account for him, and that just makes a huge difference for everybody else in the offensive end. So then the defensive end, just the impact that he has out there. Georgie, I thought, did fine. We'll get to him in a second. But Kofi, again, block of the game. He gets the rebounds. He's just a presence. And if he can stay out of foul trouble, there's no reason this team can't make a run other than the shooting, which, okay, that's the bugaboo. Maybe I'll stop just saying that. I'm going to stop talking about the shooting. We all know it. If they shoot well, they're dangerous. But Kofi at least gives you a fighting chance, even in those games that you are not shooting well. Let's see, who else do we got here? Uh, Kipper Nichols, senior night, monster game. And not just the 10 points that he scored, but the offensive rebounds that he got, especially in the second half, to elongate those possessions he was all over the court. That was good Kipper by any measure and really was kind of doing a lot of the things that Alan Griffin tends to bring when he comes out on the court. Alan Griffin, same thing. I know it wasn't a big night for him on the score sheet, but he makes a few big plays, got a big steal on one end. And I'm thinking, okay, well, now we have maybe some depth at the wing position that I didn't think we had before. Who else am I forgetting? Georgie, good minutes, I thought. There were a couple bunnies that I know he missed, but you know what? It didn't look like the same sort of timid attempts that he had taken earlier. The the big slump that he had, I don't feel like he's in that anymore. I don't think we're dreading him coming into the game like we did three weeks ago. It does seem like things have changed, and he is settling into his role now. And what I love, too, and my dad noted this, was Georgie missed a bunny. And this is second half, maybe 10 to go. Io immediately goes back to Georgie, and he makes the second one, the next possession. And I thought that speaks to, first off, Iowa's leadership. That's like, hey, you get another shot. You're going to make this one. And also the fact that the team, I think, still believes in Georgie enough. He has good touch around the rim. I mean, whatever we saw from you know, mid-January through mid-February, and I know he hasn't been good all year, but there was a, about a month period where he was just out and out bad. I'm not seeing that right now. And I am more optimistic that the minutes he has to play are not going to kill you, which, let's be honest, that was a concern that I think we all had. You know, three weeks ago in the Michigan State game, you're watching that thinking, if Kofi can't play 40 minutes a game, we're screwed. Well, Kofi gave you, I think, 26 last night, which is a lot of minutes for a freshman his size. And in the NCAA tournament, you can maybe ask for 30. You're going to need Georgie, though. And he's giving you something, and that is encouraging. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anybody here. We talked to Io, Trent, Feliz, Kofi. Oh, God, how could I forget? Demonte Williams, your sharpshooter. I had said, I think, during the Ohio State game when uh, you know DeMonte had another three or two, that I could see him having a Chester Frazier-like senior year, where this guy, that his entire career, he didn't see much offensively, and then it just kind of clicks, and he has a sneakily efficient offensive year. I could see that as a senior. Now we're seeing he has a stroke. 
he can make about you know 45% of his threes, which he's done in the last month, dating back to that Maryland game where he hit two of them early. And I know the game didn't go the way that you wanted to, but that's not an aberration now. He's making about a three or two a game. So can we expect that going forward? I feel fine with them shooting threes now. I mean, no one else is making them with that much consistency. So DeMonte, you got to keep shooting him. And defensively, you know what he brings you. But more than just that, and I know the replay shows that DeMonte threw an elbow, and this is briefly going back into the whole how much I hate Iowa thing, but he threw an elbow and did not land with McCaffrey. When he got up in McCaffrey's face, I cannot tell you the feelings, the meatball fan feelings that that inspired. Not just because I hate Iowa, but I also like the fact that we can be the aggressor again. And that's someone like DeMonte, fearless. You know, listen, we all know the story, kid from Peoria. And yes, Peoria is going to be a much harder upbringing than, let's say, what McCaffrey had. We know that we don't need to get in this whole social class thing about that dynamic between DeMonte and McCaffrey's kid. But regardless, it just gets the blood boiling. And it's like DeMonte's our guy. And yes, he's not a perfect basketball player. He is limited in certain aspects. But what he has done this year, from November, December, where we're thinking, why is he playing as much as he is? Time and time again in these games, he's making plays that make you say, oh, okay, I get it. This, He actually is a glue guy. He's the intangible guy. And we're seeing it with the plays that he makes and just the presence he brings on the court. I feel comfortable with him on the court. And I can't say that for everybody. So that speaks, I think, a little bit to DeMonte and how much he's grown. And I do think as a senior, do I want him in the starting lineup? Yeah, I do. I still want DeMonte in the lineup as a senior. That probably is at the expense of someone like Alan Griffin, who as much as I like, we still see lapses from him that we don't, defensively at least, that we don't always see from DeMonte. And knowing that next year's starting lineup, see, I'm already doing macro, we'll have Crabello and Miller and Kofi, and I'm guessing another shooter at the wing. I think you keep DeMonte, well, I'm Trent. God, what am I saying? You hope to have enough shooters where DeMonte can be in that starting lineup and you're still going to get the points. And hey, again, he's the best three-point shooter on this team in the last month. So you'll take it. What a turnaround for him offensively. And you're seeing just this total team cohesive unit sort of thing where there wasn't a lineup yesterday against Iowa. There was not a lineup that I looked out there and felt bad about, apart from, no offense, the first three minutes of the game. And I felt like the symbolism of starting your seniors, at least Underwood and Kipper, made sense. And I had no problem with Kipper especially starting because I thought the matchup kind of you know asked for it. Tyler Underwood had a couple great passes, but when you stretch that to three minutes, and I think at that point it was either a 9-4 or 11-6 Iowa lead, I thought, okay, I get the symbolism, but we got a game to win here. Ultimately, it didn't bite you, but I thought it was pushing your luck just a bit, just a bit. But whew, thank goodness we're here on a Monday night talking about a win against Iowa, 21-10 and 10 overall. Didn't do a lot in terms of the net ranking or Ken Palm, and at this point it is sort of what it is, right? Your resume, the strength of it is not so much in the net ranking or the Ken Palm, but it is in the road wins, which I hope the selection committee values highly. And if there were such thing as quad one and a half wins, unfortunately you look at the two Purdue wins. Well, they don't mean a whole lot now, unfortunately. You look at Iowa, technically that's not a quad one win at home because they're just outside of the top 30. But we saw it with our own eyes. We know what Iowa is. That's a good team right there and a dangerous one, and you beat them at home, and you took their best shot in terms of how well they were shooting for much of that game. So I'm thinking, all right, the resume is what it is, and with that win, you all but solidify a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. Let's finish with the NCAA tournament, 
but start with a Big Ten tournament. Friday, 1.30 start. We got parent-teacher conferences on Friday until 11, so I'll get out of there and then get ready to watch basketball all day. But I got to be honest, and I think we can all relate to this. If Illinois wins that game, which would be game two on Friday, then games three and four are that much more fun to watch. Because, you know, how long has it been since we were able to get excited about a Saturday game in the Big Ten tournament? I think we need to go certainly back to the Weber era because Underwood hasn't done it, and John Gross didn't do it. I don't think he made Saturday once in those five years. So you got to go back to the Weber era, and even with that, you know, you made some Saturdays. There was the one in 2010 against Ohio State that almost got the win that probably would have propelled you in the tournament. But, man, I want that feeling again. I want to win on Friday, regardless if it's Iowa or Minnesota or Northwestern, but let's be real about that. Probably it's not going to be them. And know that I get the rest of the day to enjoy Big Ten tournament basketball and get excited for whoever Illinois is playing, which would likely be Wisconsin, we would assume. So the path is there. You're on the right side of the bracket. You get to avoid Michigan State or Maryland or Ohio State until the final if you make it there. That's a huge break. And all the more reason why winning that game and getting the double bye and being on this side of the bracket is huge. And why maybe it's not so bad that Wisconsin, they get the tiebreaker among the co-champions because of their record head-to-head. I mean, That's a pretty good scheduling break, as good as they're playing right now. I don't want Maryland or Michigan State until you absolutely have to play them. So the path is there. Now, does this team make a run? I want to go back to Steve Greenberg's article because I think that this bears repeating. It is March. It's tournament basketball. And on any given day, the other team could just be red hot and you could be super cold. If that happens, it doesn't really matter who you play. You could lose that game and that Big Ten tournament run or your entire season could be over. That's a possibility. There is a possibility this team only plays two more games. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they got another one or two in them. But it's possible. So it's not as if I say that to try to guard ourselves against expectations or to bring down the mood, but it is possible and something that we need to keep in the back of our mind, not out of fear, but just out of, okay, are we going to let two potential disappointments of the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament completely influence how we look at this season? I think that would do a disservice to this season and this team because the context is there. We know what the six years before this year were like. It wasn't good. Maddening, in fact. Well, now you are finally back to a level with which we are familiar. It's been a while, but we're familiar with it. We belong here. We know that. And now that you've gotten there, I don't want a bitter taste at the end of the season to be solely the result of, oh, well, Iowa was red hot, and then you got a bad matchup against a 10 seed in the tournament, like a Utah State or something like that, and they beat you by five. These are all possibilities, but this is the beautiful thing about tournament time. The other side of it is you make a run in the Big Ten tournament, and you make a run in the NCAA tournament. I got to be honest. I'll take either one of these and be over-the-moon ecstatic with how the season goes. The first option would be you win the Big Ten tournament. Three games in three days. Not going to be easy. But you know what? It's not going to be easy for any team there. Find me one team in the Big Ten tournament that is going to be more confident than Illinois. And, and that, I think, does matter at this time of year. You have a closer in Io. You have a big in Kofi. You know that if you just start shooting, you can beat anybody and actually maybe finally beat someone soundly if you just start shooting well uh, from, from three-point range. And I'm thinking, well, you know, we're as competent as any other team and as capable in a lot of ways as any other team in a tournament setting. So it could happen. It might not, but it could. You give me a Big Ten tournament title, 
this is an you know nine out of ten season, regardless of what happens in the NCAA tournament. I'm all about banners that you can hang, and I think what we have up at the State Farm Center is a Big Ten tournament champions one banner with the two titles listed up there. Even adding to that, right? It's accolades, it's milestones, things that you can look back to and say, I remember the 2020 Big Ten tournament title run. What a weekend that was. Because we still talk about the 1999 Big Ten tournament run, even though they didn't win it. But those four games in four days are part of a Illini basketball lore because we all remember, for those who lived through it, how exciting that was. So that's one. Big Ten tournament run, if they happen to win it, then you know what? Honestly, anything that happens in the NCAA tournament, I'm good. Not a huge deal. But that's the other thing, though. I mean, they could lose to Iowa on Friday, and if they somehow make a second weekend of the NCAA tournament, and you know what? Let me even recalibrate it one step further. A win. A win in the NCAA tournament. The good thing is, though, I say all that. I mean, I mentioned the Iowa game being kind of the cherry on top of this season. It validated a few things for me. It validated that it's okay to return to being just a full meathead fan and just enjoying every bit of it and riding that roller coaster and letting the highest of the highs feel really good and still accepting that there's going to be those low moments where the next day kind of sucks after a loss. So that was a cherry on top. But really what happens from here on out, same idea. It's a cherry on top. I need to be careful as we get into the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, not to lose sight of them. And it's not as if we need to do away with all expectations or just say that, well, even if they play a really crappy game, but that's okay. It's not. But at least we're in a position now where we can nitpick and start saying, man, if you know if they only would have done this or they would have done that, then maybe we would have won that game. These are all things, exercises that I've not been able to do as a fan for way too long. And I'm hoping that going forward, we don't need to wait this long again. I said the same sort of thing after the Yankees won the AL East, and I think it was their first division title since 2012 or 2013 and this is just last year and I was thinking okay let's not let's make this a regular thing again let's not have those six-year droughts just like division titles are for the Yankees I'm thinking Illinois making the NCAA tournament and finishing in the top half of the Big Ten that should be pretty much a yearly occurrence and there's no reason why this can't be the start of year-in year-out success I mean every successful program and look at Wisconsin what they've done the last 20 years it all started with one successful season and then you build off that going back to the Dick Bennett era of Wisconsin they've had rarely any miscues since it's pretty remarkable what they've done well why can't we do the same thing and you got a coach now that's going to be here for a while you got a coaching staff that's here through 2026 and if they can keep it up on the recruiting front I have very little doubt that they will especially because it feels like you have that, I don't want to say transformational kind of player, but you have this sort of bedrock foundation coming in with Crabello. And when you have a point guard at that level that will likely be here for four years, you feel pretty good about maintaining that consistency. And you know, I, I will also want to caution ourselves against this. I'm doing it myself, this whole, well, I think we're going to be better next year. Keep in mind for most games in this run, Io and Andres Feliz have been your two best players. So if I were to say that next year's team is going to be better, I'm projecting and I'm predicting. And I could be totally wrong about that. They could be a mess at certain points next year, just like this team was a mess in November, December. And by no means do I think that the 2020-21 team is going to be just this super smooth ship that you know doesn't ever face any adversity. I don't think that's going to be the case. So I don't want to just quickly move on from what Io and Andres Feliz are doing. Those are the two big losses that you have. And I know Kipper, he adds a lot, but you have so much of the wing position next year that you can withstand the loss of Kipper. No offense to him. 
But yeah, Iowa and Andres Feliz are playing some special basketball right now, and you are counting on a guy like Crabello to be great from the start, which I think he will be. Adam Miller to be really good from the start, which he probably will be. But more importantly, I think Trent Frazier to return to form, and now that he can play off the ball for the most part next year, I think he will get back to the freshman, sophomore year, Trent, that we saw, and have a really strong senior year. So, yeah, I think next year's team, at the end of the day, the finished product, I think, will be better because they're more balanced and there's more depth. But I say that understanding that Io just had one of the best single seasons in Illini basketball history. And maybe not just statistically, but think of all the moments. And that Andres Feliz had a sneaky, quiet, you know, ho-hum, 13 points a game, unbelievable senior year for him. And he built his own legacy. In the two years that he was here, Andres Feliz, he's a total bulldog out there. He can get to the rim at will. Great defender. And Underwood made a special point to reference that if there's a face that I would you know, put forth for this program and the identity that we want to build, it would be Andres Feliz. That was what he said. There's a toughness with which he plays that I can understand why Underwood would say something like that. That if you get a bunch of Andres Felizes on your team, you're going to be a hard out no matter who you play. So as we sit here today, it's March 9th. I'm in the basement recording this. Scratchy voice and all. Ebbs and flows. Water helps for a couple minutes. And then it inevitably cracks. Full disclosure, I edited out a few voice cracks too <laughs> on the fly. I'm like, Ugh. so I'm trying to make sure it's as easy of a listen and you don't have that Dan Dockich bronchidal effect that you've had on ESPN recently because that's just unlistenable. Hopefully this podcast was not unlistenable. And I know it's a solo pod. We did get one interesting review that mentioned how the live play-by-play podcast, that wasn't that guy's cup of tea. I've heard both things. Mostly I've heard a positive reaction to that. Uh, But there have been a few people saying, you know, I just watched the game. Why do I want to go back? And to be honest, after the Ohio State game, no one wants to relive that. So that's the risk that you run with the play-by-play. We are going to do that when able. But it had been a while since I just come down here and talked about everything that kind of came before it. When I have done that before, it's usually been about a game here or a game there. There was, of course, the ill-fated Eve of the Moment podcast where I was trying to set the stage for the grand re-entrance of Illinois into Big Ten title. And God, by God, they almost did it anyway. But this is the first time I've just kind of came down here and done my thing in a while. Now, with solo pods, that stream of consciousness sort of thing, there is good and bad with it. And God knows that you can run into cases of redundancy, saying the same thing over and over. But I did feel, I guess, inspired as a word, based on what happened in the Iowa game. Again, I couldn't stop thinking about today. It That same sort of buzz that I used to get when I was in middle school and high school, that's the prime age for becoming an absolutely crazy sports fan. That same sort of buzz that I would get back then after an I win, I had that today. Didn't matter what the kids were doing in class. They could have been the biggest jerks ever. We might have a misbehavior here and there. Whatever. Illinois won yesterday. I'm in a good mood. And that was basically my day. I know I wasn't alone, so whatever job you have or whatever you do during the day, chances are you thought about that Illinois-Iowa game more than a few times, and that's the effect that a good Illini basketball team can have on all of us. Again, if you're listening, you're an Illini fan and probably one of those crazy fans that will consume anything Illini-related, just like I do. So as we close the book on this episode, episode 69, a most satisfying year. There were a lot of words that people threw out on Twitter, and I appreciate all the suggestions, but the one I kept going back to was satisfying, which in a way doesn't capture the maybe manic energy that we feel after a big win, right? You wouldn't say after the Iowa game, 
I'm satisfied. No, you're pumped, right? And we're all pumped. But if you think about the season in totality, the reason the word satisfy worked more than any other, I think, is that it had been so long and we craved it so badly. And now that we get to sit here in the aftermath of 31 regular season games and we get to reflect on everything that came before it, the overriding feeling that I have is of satisfaction, that we were able to experience a basketball season the likes of which we have not in a long time. That is something I don't want to take lightly. I don't want to just brush aside and say, eh, whatever. I mean, this isn't disposable. I know sports, they... At their worst, we can say, ah, whatever, they lost. I get in that trap myself. But at the end of the day, the reason we keep coming back to it is because it's meaningful to us. And for collegiate sports especially, and for anyone that you know has grown up in Champaign-Urbana or went to the University of Illinois just like I did, it is ingrained in you. And you can't shake it no matter how hard you try or how hard you try to convince yourself that, well, you know, I've moved on past sports. No, I haven't. Come on, I'm 33. I could, I could play that game every year, and I basically do. I'll come on here and say, you know what? I wish I could feel angry about Illinois sports again. Well, we found out. Case study, okay? We were all subjects in this case study. When Illinois is winning, we get invested, and then we feel the lowest of the lows and the highest of the highs. We felt both of those in the last nine weeks. But what I love about that Iowa game is it is the exact opposite of how I felt leaving that stadium after Maryland and Michigan State. And I was thirsty to experience that in the stadium, to be a part of that crowd, and call it, you know, front runner status, whatever you want. I, I would understand criticisms of the sort. But to be able to experience that vibe last night, the likes of which we have not seen in a long time, and to feel as if this is the start. And we all questioned, would it take that much to get Illinois fans back on board? Or how long would it take Illinois fans to get back on board? The stub up prices would tell you that not long. I mean, they're back. And the atmosphere last night tells me that they never really left. And that if you give this fan base something to cheer for, they're going to be there. And not only are they going to be there at the State Farm Center, they're going to be one of the best home courts in the nation. We're building that again. The Orange Crush, they're building it. They fear, they're figuring things out. They're figuring out how to be pest. And they were last night. Brilliant job by the Orange Crush. And they brought out the Orange Crush seniors. And I'm thinking, my God, the, the dues that this class of Orange Crush seniors had to pay. They had John Gross's last year, and then they get the first two years of Brad Underwood, and they get this payoff. Much deserved. But really, it's much deserved for any Illini fan, whether you were at the stadium or watching it on TV last night. And what's even more deserved is that we get to enter the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments relevant and dangerous. And this team is dangerous. If they make shots, they're super dangerous. It could all end in two games, or it could all end in another four or five. I hope it's the latter. I hope that we get to continue to come on this podcast over the next month and recap wins because they're all meaningful now. They're all huge. I think they got another two or three wins up their sleeve. What combination they get, I don't know. But I think they got another two or three. Get yourself up to 24, 25 win season. Man, I mean, that, that would be pretty damn impressive for what has already been an impressive season. As we wrap up, before my voice completely goes out, I want to thank the listeners, of course, and I do that every so often and probably don't do it enough. We have a really good base of listeners that have been there from the start, but it keeps growing. And I think that speaks to the fact that Illini fans are as rabid as they are. So whether it's word of mouth or whether it's Illini Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, all the you know social media blasts that we put out on Twitter, which, you know, thank you for bearing with me with all the, hey, in case you missed it, here's the last podcast. Hey, thank you for your patience with that. But however it's getting out there, it's getting out there. 
you can help spread the word by reviewing us on iTunes. And that's where the one guy said, okay, enough play-by-play podcast. We're going to get to our schedule coming up in a bit. There may be some live podcasts coming up. We're going to kind of figure that out on the fly. But reviewing us, rating us on iTunes or any podcast service you listen to, that helps us get up the search engine. You could also retweet us or follow us on Twitter. Getting that out there, retweeting it to your followers, the latest episode, that's a big help for us as well. But there's a trickle-out effect going on, and certainly the wins only help our cause. So it's great to be a part of the conversation. I appreciate anyone that would take the time to listen to me, especially for these solo pods, just go. No notes today. You know, I had them earlier. Hopefully this was still semi-structured, even though I know that there's that stream of consciousness rambling tendency for solo podcasts, but I try to stay on message. I try to stay a little bit focused with what we've seen. And if I'm a little bit all over the place, it's because I'm in a happy, all-over-the-place sort of spot. You know, it's just a good time to be an Illini fan, and it's been way too long for that. And it did get to a point, and Josh Whitman said this when they hired Brad Underwood, that the longer you find yourself away from the 0405 team, the harder it is to get back. I wasn't sure about this thing in November, December, and none of us were, if we're being honest. And yet here we are, and they have firmly put themselves in a position to not have to address you know, well, is this thing going to work or not? I think we can move past that discussion and move on to, well, how well could this thing work? It also got to a point where after the 0405 team, I thought, you know, we're never going to be talking national title again. You know, right in the middle of the gross era, I remember feeling very helpless and like, you know, that's a pipe dream. It's certainly not going to happen with football. And I still kind of believe that just because the way college football set up. But I had gotten that point with Illinois basketball, which is something I'd always thought, yeah, we'll get there someday. Even in an off-year bubble team or something, I thought, we could get back there. But it all comes down to a sense of momentum and feeling as if the coach that's in place could actually pull that off. And I think we all worried about Underwood's recruiting. Well, it seems like that's going to be fine. But it's really been his flexibility as a coach this year that has stood out to me, that he will do what he needs to do with the roster that he has to maximize what they do on the court, even if that means abandoning the identity he would like to put out there. And that's what he kind of had to do. If not abandon it, he had to readjust. And any coach that can do that in 2020, you kind of need that. And I think the best coaches are able to do that. They're able to be reflective and say, well, this doesn't work for this group of guys, so I'm going to change things up. All the players have been massive this year. We know that Io, the legacy is secure. You know, we're always going to remember Io DeSumo. But this may be the year that we also look back and say, well, Brad Underwood figured it out. And to do that in year three and to do it so quickly and so dramatically, to go from 7-13 and 13 in conference to 13-7, and seven, four seed and a double bye, that's remarkable. He did not win coach of the year, and that's okay. But had he won, it would have been much deserved. Also, Io DeSumo, first team media. I don't know what the coaches were thinking, but Io, of course, much deserved first team honors. And then Kofi gets freshman of the year, again, much deserved. So now you finally got some stars, right? This is what it's like when Illinois basketball has stars and more coming in, and I think even more to come now that there's actually success that you can sell these recruits. As we sign off today, a reminder, the DP Doe, you can order online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. If you're in Champaign-Urbana, they deliver anywhere. It's great for business lunches. It's great for late-night snacks. By the way, spring break coming up, so if you're one of those people leery about going to campus to pick something up, you can do that because students are going to be leaving 
pretty much Friday, Saturday, campus is going to be a ghost town. So what better time to order DP Doe? Again, they deliver, but if you want to go on campus while students are gone, it's right there, uh, basically just east of the viaduct on Green and Neal. So between Neal and First on Green Street in Campus Town. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL to get 10% off. Right now, I'm rocking my V80s belonging to the Illini t-shirt that they so graciously uh, sent me along with my order of the orange Illini script shirt, which I wore to the game yesterday. And that will probably be my game day attire going forward. The orange t-shirt, Illinois script, they got reorders coming in. They're stocking up just in time for March Madness. So forthandkirby.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs, auto, home, life, business, renters, you name it. They got you covered. All of them Champaign-Urbana products. You can trust them. I know Brian, great individual, and you want to be able to trust the insurance person that you work with. So that's online again at brianismyguy.com. As my voice cracks, that's telling me let's wrap things up. Thanks again to Alana Inquirer, Champaign Showers Podcast Network. Later this week, Illinois plays about 1.30 on Friday. What I think I will do, because Trevor is not going to be available, it looks like, and Isaac is still on his spring break vacation thing. So what I will likely do is bring my little mobile studio upstairs to the nice TV. I'll flip on the mic's second half for whoever Illinois is playing, Iowa, Minnesota, or Northwestern maybe. And I'll record a second half post-game reaction podcast to get that out in a timely fashion. The hope, of course, being that what I get out there will be of a celebratory nature and we can preview whoever they're playing on Saturday. Wouldn't that be a great feeling to wake up Saturday morning, Big Ten tournament semifinal? It used to be that Illinois made it every year. I think they made like eight in a row to start the tournament on Saturdays. And the first time they didn't was D and James senior year against Michigan State on that Friday night. I remember thinking, well, that's weird. We won't have a Saturday game to watch. Let's get back to that. So that's the hope. I will be here on Friday, second half post-game pod against Iowa, we assume, and then hopefully on Saturday as well. Sunday, heading to Memphis for start of our uh, spring break trip with me and Kara. So what we'll do for that is selection Sunday. I will on the way down to New Orleans from Memphis on Monday, have my computer, have the mixing board and everything in the car. I got one of those power inverter things. I'm going to flip on the mic and do a NCAA tournament podcast for the first leg of our trip down to New Orleans. So Carol, drive a little bit. I'll do the podcast. Get that up so you have something to listen to on Monday morning. That's the plan for now. But for all the other updates, you can follow us on Twitter at the 200 level or follow me at fanboycarp. Okay, I'm going to go soak my voice in a tub of honey and try to get it back before I see the kids tomorrow. Hopefully it wasn't too unlistenable. And again, thank you all for being with us through this journey, whatever whatever you want to throw on it. This has been one hell of a basketball season. We will not forget it anytime soon. I think it's the start of really good things to come. And it's just cool to be a part of that conversation as it's happening. So thank you for listening to us. We will see you Friday, hopefully for an Illini victory against Iowa, right here on the 200 level.